part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. Spoiler alert, when this podcast talks about the books of his dark materials, it does so in the context of the most recent book. And when it talks about the television show on the BBC and HBO, it does so in the context of the most recent episode. You've been warned. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Here we go. As soon as my voice clears. Still your eighth favorite podcast covering His Dark Materials, especially season three. That's out of about four that are actually active. So the math's not so great there still. (laughs) But... We are happy to be here with you, and today we are talking about Season 3, Episode 3, The Intention Craft, written by the showrunner Jack Thorne and directed by Charles Martin, and Season 3, Episode 4, Lyra and Her Death, written by the same, directed by the same. I'm Double M. I'm with you. I'm with Holly, who is Double H, Holly Huntpants, and we are here to talk about these episodes. What do you think? Should we just get right into rating these episodes? Yeah, might as well. This was, uh, episode three was actually kind of fun and even parts of episode four were fun, but then the end, it just really takes me out. And yeah, oh, yeah, it's gonna be a rough week, guys. Sorry. Let's go. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do our ratings first. And as you know, as we are part of a double P media entity, we must use at least doubles, sometimes triples in terms of rating these episodes. Uh, so if you're a catfish, you might try septuples sometimes, but I'm not that ambitious. Do you want to go first or me? I'll go first. Okay. Well, what did you rate season three, episode three, Holly? I gave it a seven out of 10 double eyes. Uh, double eyes? Indecisive intentions. Um, oh. yeah, uh, you know, we have a lot of talk about intentions in this episode with the knife and then the intention craft ex- itself, and then a lot of just indecisiveness going on between uh Lyra and Will and the debate on what to do with the knife, and uh, yeah, Will on whether it even fix the knife and and go to Asriel and um, Lyra being indecisive, but well, she's actually pretty decisive about the land of the dead, but maybe Pan's not so decisive about that. And then we have uh, Asriel and Marissa, um, or Marisa. Um, maybe Asriel's a little indecisive about how to handle her, so he's got he gets all his his friends to help decide. Um, and even Marissa herself is a little bit indecisive about like how she wants to go about saving her daughter, whether it's with Team Asriel or she's going to strike out on her own. So that that's my. Rating, I think it's a, I know it's low for Matt's standards. Um, and I don't think it's a bad episode. Um, I just think there's a lot of filler. I mean, it's a lot of trying, not, not even filler, a lot of move the plot along, move the story along to get us, um, from point A to point B. Um, and this, my favorite stuff was actually all of the Asriel and Marissa, uh, scenes together. Um, I thought that was just, fantastic work um fantastic acting by the actors and i think as far as the story goes it it is uh it gives us pieces that we don't get to really see in the books um them talking about their relationship and their uh how they feel about being parents i think it's it's really great to see that side of it and that's my rating for episode three we'll put it on the poll is it marissa or marisa on the poll at the dust podcast on twitter because 
Uh, some, some characters are even changing the way that they pronounce it over the course of these, uh, seasons. So it, I, it, think, it's, uh, for I feel like James McAvoy is this a new debate every week because last year it was, uh, Stel Maria, but like, I, I don't remember him saying Stel Maria in the, in the early seasons. It was Stel Maria, right? Like, I don't, I don't know, but, um, but it, it seems to be James McAvoy uh, doesn't pronounce the characters' names, but. It's okay. uh, we'll He's put that on the poll as well. Does James McElroy pronounce the characters' names any way he feels like it on any <laughs> given day? And uh, as for my rating, I'm, I don't think I'm going to be quite – I mean, you did an, an excellent little kind of mini recap and some of the things that you liked and you didn't. I'm not going to be too kind with this, even though my rating was higher, uh, quite a bit higher than yours. As you know, I can't rate anything lower than a 7, so that would have been right at the bottom of my mm. – uh, scale, but I gave this 8.5 out of 10, what I like to call double A's. Double A's? Yeah, that stands for aggravating angels. I mean, no. Bathamas shows up for five minutes after Will and Lyra have already gotten the job done just to rub it in that he's been watching them anyway. And then, uh, oh, turns out I can't go to the land of the dead. See, I'm, I'm on another path. No explanation of what that path is or anything. Um, I feel like a lot of the, adaptation choices that they're making some of which i'll have to wait until the book section to go into have been really kind of detrimental uh to some of the th ways that we could have been impacted or feel or have more investment in in certain characters and i'm specifically speaking about the gala vespians um there's also other things you know this whole portrayal of the argument at the beginning seemed very cw uh i i understand that they're young and they're trying to sort through feelings and all that kind of stuff but young people tend to not make up that quickly because it's about you know it's about more about pride than anything else and even though pan helped lyra to to swallow her pride a little bit uh it just it just felt unnecessary they could have had a, a discussion i understand what it does do is it makes will's investment in going to the land of the dead somewhat makes sense because he brings up this stuff about his dad uh and lyra even brings it up later that this way he can kind of make amends with his dad that he didn't go and do the things that his dad wanted to right away instead he went after her uh, the whole and i know that a lot of people enjoyed it but i would have could have done with a lot less of azrael and I guess I'll call her Marissa. I did not like um, <clears throat> the idea, and we brought this up in our book portion of the podcast last week, Holly, that um, it just so happens that Will leaves one window open. The guy who's been very careful to count his steps that ever since he was told that to close windows by the gentleman who was training him with the knife, he's done nothing but close windows. And now he just happens because the story needs it. He just happens to leave one open. And it doesn't matter how much of a dat adaptation of difference from the books that is or not. That doesn't really bother me one way or the other. It's just the idea of why put a situation out there and then pull it right back with something as simple as one line. It seemed like a waste of time. One thing that I can totally get down on with this episode is I will always be here for Mrs. Coulter spitting in Azrael's face. That's something that... I will absolutely endorse every time. It's probably what brought my score up from about an 8 to an 8.5 this time around. 
episode four. You want me to me to go first? Uh, since I'm on a ranting. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to give it 9.3. What I like to call triple P's. Triple P's? Yeah. Poor, pathetic pans. <sighs> I, I just <sighs> crying and crying and crying as I was uh, for poor pan at the end of this episode. Um, now, Will had spent months searching for Lyra. And I I feel like that this episode spent months uh, getting us to the boat for the land of the dead and still didn't manage to uh, give us big chunks of the narrative that I was expecting from the books. Um, I did not like the way the suburbs looked. I did not like the holding area. Um, I know that some people thought that that was cool. It was a cool adaptation, kind of Soviet-like. Uh, not me. Give me the huts. Give me the other stuff that's in the books uh, that I loved and give me dinners and give me them communing more with other dead people. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I was looking for. If, if they were going to spend a lot of time here before they got to the land of the dead, that's what I was looking for. Instead, I didn't get it. I got a drawing with a shape on it and a line through it. I got uh, a bunch of old men telling young women what to do. And I did not like it at all. I just did not like that ab- adaptation, but. I am basing a lot of this rating, this high, much higher rating, 9.3, uh, based on my cries, uh, because, uh, that's, that's going to have a big impact on me is how emotional I get for each episode. And there was nothing not to get emotional about at the end of this particular episode. It was really rough on me. Uh, plus just give Ruth Wilson every single entertainment award that ever existed, uh, for the rest of time. Uh, whether she's been in a project or not, because, oh, my gosh, I howled with laughter during that whole sequence where uh, she puts on her mother's purple dress or, or puts on the purple dress and leads that attendant around. And, uh, you know, that the whole and I know it was just a, a really bad joke, but uh, it, it still worked for me. You know, everybody needs support. I just thought that that was, you know, we all need support uh, and I will need your support, Holly. Uh, to get through this podcast. So why don't you tell me what your rating was? <laughs> okay. Well, that is, we have this weird tendency where I feel like um, I rate my episodes lower than you do, but I, but the way I feel about it sounds better. Like, I feel like I still am rating it higher than the, than you are. Um, I gave it a That's nine. That's because you go from a one to 10 and I only go from a seven to 10. So yeah, there's exponential so. differences there. I guess so. So I gave it a nine out of 10, uh, triple M's. Triple M's. Mary meets Mulefa. Yay! Yay! Okay, so this episode is super... The, the ending is so sad. And to this day, this part in the book, um, and now and now this moment in the show, is one of the saddest things ever consumed by me in my life. Um, every time I read this passage in the book, I... I'm inconsolable. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry right now, and I'm gonna cry later when we get more into it. So I'm so sorry in advance, but like, I lose it every time. It is so, so rough, um, and heartbreaking. And I think for an adaptation, I think they did a really great job of adapting that. I got like those, those feel. I was crying when I saw the boatman. So if you didn't even, if you were watching this and never read the books, you didn't, you weren't there yet. But like. I was already there. I saw that man on the boat and I, I just lost it because I knew what he was going to say. And oh my God. Anyway, um, but I needed to do the triple M's for my rating to try to like keep my spirits up because this was a moment. 
this was something I've been looking forward to um, and wondering since they announced the that they were since back in 2015 and they announced that they were making this adaptation. Um, I was wondering how they were going to make these Mulefa look. And we've only just seen a little bit. We haven't seen all of it. So I know there's some book readers out there who might be mad because they haven't seen XYZ yet, but guess what? It's coming. Um, I'm not worried about it. Let's, let's, you know, let's let them unfold the story for us. Um, I think it looks great. Um, it's it, it's impossible for me to even imagine like I don't think I even my brain knew how to imagine a Mulefa so um I know it's not exactly as it is described in the books but I really like the look of it at all uh look of it um and I'm I'm really excited to go forward with Mary's story and I'm and I'm focusing on that so I don't cry for the next two hours while we record this podcast Put it on the poll. Would you rather not get XYZ for book readers or would you rather get XYZ for book readers and it looks stupid? Uh, because this is going to be a real challenge. Uh, we could talk more about it in the book section. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the ratings. As usual, they've been pretty disappointing. I got these from, uh, spoilertv.com is where I got these ratings from last week. Uh, the debut on December 5th of the first two episodes, uh, the nine o'clock slot got a measly 0.04 share of the 18 to 20, 45 demo. Naturally, a lot of shows only got that share because everybody was watching football, which even is even more of a testament to the fact that HBO has thrown this series away and said, yeah, we're just going to put something we don't care about in the time slot against the NFL. So that way we don't have to worry about the fact that we're losing to the NFL uh, and to ESPN. Uh, Here's the more disturbing number. Only 154,000 views in the first live watching. Um, that's pretty darn low when you consider that, uh, like House of the Dragon was even on its old broadcast live TV was still pulling 7 million viewers. Uh, I mean, like it's, it sucks. It's not, it's just not a great time right now for this, you know? Um, unfortunately, I, I am struggling to like, get in the right frame of mind to watch the show I love um, just because of where we are in the year and how busy everybody is. So uh, if you hate that take that I just gave there, feel free to tweet at me at the dust podcast on Twitter. You can also use Matt's audio blog, M A T T S audio blog. If you're using hive social or Mastodon, you can find me in either of those places. Use that same spelling for emails, Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. You can also leave comments on our posts at the website, mattsaudioblog.com. You can also find all of the podcast app links there, and you can find, uh, I guess, all of the back episodes as well, except for the YouTubes. Our YouTubes are exclusive to Double P Media's YouTube, which you can find at youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media, and uh, or you can just use our, those cute little handles now, youtube.com at Double P Media. Uh, you can also find them on the socials at the word double, the letters PHQ. That's Hive. That's Twitter. Um, that's Instagram as well. Or you can use that same spelling for their Facebook page, facebook.com slash the word double, the letters PHQ. And you can find more information about the podcast network at doublepmedia.com. The word double, the letter P, the word media.com. We want to hear from you. Getting on to our music analysis. Hey, Matt. Uh, coach? 
Matt, yeah, hey, how you doing? Oh, uh, I, I just wanted to stop in for a minute. Coach, what are you doing here? Well, if you'll let me finish, I just wanted to stop in. And you guys did a really cool game last week, but you suck being the host and a contestant. That just doesn't work all that well. So I thought I would, since you haven't done anything with the Bustin' Blockbusters podcast, like in the last two months since Lord of the Rings ended, since you've not put out a single episode and I haven't been around, you know, you haven't asked me to be part of anything. I thought I would just come over here and say hello to Holly. Hi, Holly. And Hi, Coach. And I thought I would say, why not utilize me since you're not using me on the other podcast? Coach. The reason I'm not using you is because everybody complained saying how terrible you were and that they never wanted to hear from you again. Well, I mean, haters are going to be haters, but, you know, I'm, I'm a tough guy. I, I'm a trollic. I'm a trollic from the, the wheel of time, and so I'm very tough, and I, I'm not going to let little words like that hurt me. You shouldn't let them hurt you either, Matt. Why don't you let me host this game that you introduced last week, and I promise you, I will make it better. I've got better music for it. I've got better questions for it. What do you think? Oh, my God. Will it get rid of you? And how did you get the link to this chat anyway? Well, I'm currently over in the other room at, at your other computer, and I just kind of hacked in. You – oh, my God, Coach. You've got you've got to stop doing this. You've got to just co- stop just showing up. Okay, one chance, Coach. One chance to play this game, and then that's it. All right. Well, this is great. Let's do it. It's time for the game that is sweeping the nation, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Coach T, your host. Welcome to Would You Show Up For It, where we asked certain situations in his dark materials if you would show up to see... I've got two contestants with me. One is a curmudgeon by the name of Matt, and one is a fresh, lovely face in Holly. Holly, welcome to the show. My prompt card here says that you hate the cold, but you love animals. Is that correct? That's correct, among other things. Well, let me tell you, Holly, I I, I didn't mean to be so restrictive. I mean, you can love more than one thing. But the most important question for me to ask here is, do you consider Trollocs animals that you would love as well? A what? Trollocs. I don't know what that is. A Trolloc is an evil creature from the Wheel of Time. Oh, I... I um. Like me. Yeah, I, I, I could love you, Coach. Okay, we'll see. Uh, that's a problem because oh, no. Trollocs hate to be called animals. So don't ever do that again. Uh, first question to you, Holly. This uh, <laughs> is Coulter going to repent at the chapel would you show up for it absolutely i would show up for that any reason why i want to see it i want to see her i want to see i want to see how she gets dealt with by the magisterium okay uh matt my prompt card here says that you're an old curmudgeon and that everybody hates you that your takes are terrible and the only reason people listen to you is for your music is that correct yeah, that's pretty much it, Coach. Yeah, sure. How about that question for you? Mrs. Coulter, going to repent at the chapel, would you show up for it? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think I would, just because it made me bust a gut when I did see it. So right. I, I absolutely loved it. It was hilarious. Uh, and uh, maybe it was a little bit too on the nose and, and a little bit too fourth wall. There were several things in this episode that were too fourth wall. You know what, Matt? That's enough. Uh, we don't really need to hear from you anymore. Thanks for answering the question. Next question to you, Holly. Will you show up for York bossing Will around the way that he did when he was making a knife? Absolutely, I would show up for that. I like York. I think that York's pretty much a, a, a beast of my own kind. He may be a little nicer than me, which is something that I really can't respect uh, oh. because I, I like eating uh, people who are nice. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Uh, so you got a kick out of York telling Will uh, that he needed to clear his mind. Uh, did you like what Will found at the bottom of his mind? When he found Lyra at the bottom of his mind? Yes. That was, yeah, that, that was that was nice. That was acceptable. But, I mean, it wasn't nice if you like nice to eat nice people things. It was awful. Well, I'll try, and for, I'll try to avoid it. Just because you like the situation, I'll try and avoid it. Matt, how about you? Coach, I am always here for a bear bossing a human around. As you know, I let a bear trollic such as yourself boss me around all the time on the other podcast you don't need to talk about that Matt. it's really it's okay you don't need to bring that up at all uh, our third question holly would you show up for a fruit feast prepared on the world of malefa absolutely i would eat a malefa charcuterie board 100 percent that's lovely. the best way to learn about a new culture is to try the food so um like why not can I share a secret with you, Holly? Sure, sure. I personally, I think because you know, uh, in the in the wheel of time, uh, my types we like to eat humans too, right? So oh, okay. I think I would like to try a malefa fruit. What do you think of that? Um, I uh, I'm less interested in trying the malefa, but you know, I don't knock anybody for their choices. Um, yeah. Um. I, don't, I think it's getting late. I might need to go soon, Coach. I'm getting scared. Okay. Uh, well, well, never mind. You know, just just hang around here for just a, another minute. Okay. Here. All right. All right. Uh, I'll stay. I'll stay close by. Matt, same question to you. Just, Coach, just get out of here. You know, I would show up for the fruit. You know that I would show up for to, to see a Malefa and to talk to a Malefa and to be in a new world. It, it, it's 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 all good with me. Well, you don't need to get so defensive about it, man. I mean, geez, I'm just trying to help here. Uh, I don't know. I picked out better music. The music you picked last week sucked. I mean, it really sucked. Coach, just just get out of here. Please, please, just get out of here. And that's all that we have time for, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next time with Would You Show Up For It? No, no, we won't. We won't be up back with this. No, not ever again. Is he gone? Is he gone? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, just gonna scoot back in here a little bit. Ugh, he was making me nervous. So I was trying to get away. <laughs> All right. So I've got some music to talk about. In fact, I have so much music to talk about. I, I, there's a lot more that I need to include 
But this time around, we've got some new themes. We've got some tricky versions of old themes. We've got all kinds of great stuff in this particular musical analysis of the music of these two episodes from Lauren Balfe. And there was so much that even after 13 minutes and 40 seconds of this stuff, I still hadn't really finished everything. So you will get a bonus music podcast later on this week as well from me. It'll cover a couple more themes that I couldn't get to. In the meantime, if you're not into the music at all, well, you're going to have a bad week because there's 13, <laughs> 40 minutes of of this, and then there's a bonus podcast later on in the week. So uh, sorry for that. But if you're not into the music, skip ahead about 13 minutes and 38 seconds. Oh, so much pain at the end of the fourth episode, right? To hear the main theme being used in that way and for it to create such sadness there's no rhythmic pulse underneath this version of the main theme the instruments and the ranges of those instruments make everything very sad it's a horrible goodbye between pan and lyra and it's very appropriate to use the main theme as opposed to a theme for lyra or a theme for will or a theme for whoever because this is a large concept. This is a major point in the overall story. And so it deserves a main theme treatment. And there's no need to actually break it down. But I do want to note that the way that the four chord is used in this, sometimes it's held out just a little longer than you expect it to be. That's what really helps add to the sadness. What do I mean by the four chord? Well, we've had themes that we've already discussed. This is Azrael's theme. And the theme for the Mulefa that we will discuss in this breakdown, they sometimes use major four chords. And major four chords in a minor piece tend to add a little bit of hope or wonder or even ease. But by emphasizing the minor four chord in this version of the main theme, by holding it out a little longer in some places, that helps compound the sadness. Uh, a minor four chord always makes a minor tonic or the central key feel even heavier, more sad, sometimes more scary even. In this case, I guess you could take any of those instances. It was really well done by Mr. Balf. And if you want to find that cut on the recently released official soundtrack for these two episodes, episodes three and four of season three, look for the cut, I Love You, which was kind of... Lyra's last words to Pan. It was awful. I cried. Not too ashamed to admit that. There were some other really neat tricks done with other themes as well in this particular episode. One of the things that I loved that I felt really added humor to Mrs. Coulter walking around in her purple dress and chiding that magisterium member that was following her around was the way that her chords and her theme were used to indicate almost kind of a playfulness. But the kicker, and this is something that composers do very often that we take for granted and don't even think about, is you have the theme going, you have the music going underneath, and then when Mrs. Coulter gets to the punchline of everyone needs support, he lays out and lets Ruth Wilson deliver that line to where it's even more extraordinarily funny. Loved that. 
And then he kind of resumes it after that. But just those kinds of things. It's sometimes more important where you leave music out than where you put it in. And I feel like I haven't been giving Mary Malone quite enough support this season. Although I feel like the show hadn't given her much to do until the fourth episode where she finally arrives in this new world. And I broke down this theme in episode 33. Go back to Dust 33 and hear me break it down on the anthology soundtrack that Lauren always puts out before the season starts. It was called A New World. And this is a new world and new inhabitants that Mary Malone is meeting. So there's no reason to tell you why it works as it is. Although I will note that there's a huge jump of interval, the distance between notes. And sometimes the melodic shape or how those jumps are made can create certain psychological effects. In this case, the distance between the very first two melody notes is a full octave. That is a huge jump for a melody. And what it does is it adds epicness to it. But keep this melody in mind for Mary's further adventures in this world on the official soundtrack for this week. It's called Mulefus. In fact, if you watch the captions, you will know the name of that particular inhabitant was Atal. So one might say it could be a theme for her. However, I believe that because Lauren called it a new world in his anthology soundtrack, that it is referring to the entire world in which Mary has stumbled into. I think it's going to be a pretty important theme as we go forward. So just keep this in your head as we go along. We had a return of a couple of other themes that we already knew. One, I'm not really sure if it was there or not. I'd have to go back and re-listen uh, once again. But I think there was some of the Magisterium theme in some scenes with Father President MacPhail. Feels weird to even say that. And we definitely heard the motif from Father Gomez's theme as well. We heard his theme actually more fully presented in the first two episodes. But like I said... A lot of these I have already broken down a great bit back in episode 33 of this podcast. So if you want a full breakdown of why some of these themes work, please go back to that podcast and listen. But the one old theme that was brought into this particular episode that I really loved because of the way that it was used was Will and Lyra's adventure theme. And this is not what I think is actually their love theme that we heard at the end of episode two. This is a theme that we've heard all the way back from season two. And in the season two official soundtrack, you can actually hear this theme first played in the cut, The Land of the Specters. If you want to hear the nice kind of happy version of it, then go listen to the cue, Land of the Specters. In the season two anthology, you can also hear a very nice version of it entitled The Children of the Prophecy. And again, this theme was used throughout season two with Will and Lyra in their adventures in Chittagaze and their adventures in Will's world. But the way that it was used in these two particular episodes was really interesting to me. First time that we hear it is actually when Will and Lyra are arguing about whether they should go to the land of the dead. They've walked away from the Galavespian and they are discussing whether they should go to the land of the dead or not. And they're having, you know, a pretty serious discussion. 
And a lot of what happens during that conversation is actually just a bed of the first two chords of the theme. Once again, Lauren likes to use dichotomy with his themes. He'll use just the harmony as one part. And this way it's appropriate because it's kind of a dark conversation that they're having, even though that harmony actually goes between a major one chord and a minor four chord. But as I said earlier, anytime you apply a minor four chord to something, it adds a little bit more heavy weight. So let me just play the bed for you here first. And that's what you hear a lot of as they're having the discussion. But every once in a while, they sneak in this Will and Lyra theme. And this is, again, a theme for Will and Lyra basically working together to have an adventure. And since having a new adventure in the Land of the Dead is a point of discussion here, it seems appropriate that that melody would be placed here. But it's slower and it's subtle. Now, there's one track on this week's new music, the official soundtrack for episodes three and four that Lauren Balfe put out, entitled Excuses, and it covers a couple of themes within it. So this one exhibits two themes. No, wait, three themes. No, wait, four themes all within the same cut as the narrative moves back and forth. Actually, it starts right at the beginning of episode four, when Lyra and Will and Pan have arrived at the Land of the Dead and they're starting to follow dead people to the hub. And then when we switch to Mrs. Coulter bringing the intention craft to the Magisterium, it carries on through there as well. As we join Lyra and Will, we are at the cusp of being in the Land of the Dead. What do we get? We get the harmony first from the Land of the Dead theme that sounds like this. Notice the way that second chord feels like it's sinking. Those are all chord tones that are used in a diminished chord. And I broke this down back in episode 33 once again. So I'm going to ask you for a full breakdown to go back there. But a diminished chord is a symmetrical chord. And if it's one thing that we humans feel really uncomfortable about, it's symmetry within our harmony. We love symmetry in our beats. We hate symmetry in our harmony. And because this melody and everything else is based out of a diminished chord like this. Everything feels really uncomfortable. And it should. The Land of the Dead should be uncomfortable. But just to remind you what the melody is like, this is the way that it sounded with beds underneath. Normally in the anthology soundtrack, we heard it with arpeggios underneath. And we even heard a little bit of it when Lyra woke up from one of her dreams with Roger one time in the first two episodes. But this melody is just as equally scary as the chords that it's based on. Ooh, gives me the creeps. Then we shift to the Magisterium and Mrs. Coulter arriving with the intention craft. And there are some things that are happening here 
that I absolutely love. First of all, there's a motive that I used to call the danger motive, which has always been associated with Mrs. Coulter in some ways. It's been associated with her because she's been a danger to Lyra. So it makes sense that it gets incorporated here because what Mrs. Coulter is about to do is dangerous. And Lyra is in danger still from the magisterium. So that's why that danger motive gets placed on top of the harmony for Mrs. Coulter's theme. But here is a very neat trick that Mr. Balfe does. He incorporates one of Lyra's themes, not her main theme, so to speak, the child of the prophecy theme, but instead the other one where she's been more playful. Uh, originally, it was called Scholastic Sanctuary from the very first uh, His Dark Materials anthology. And that theme was used for the more playful side of Lyra, actually. For instance, when she was running across rooftops at Oxford or across boat decks with Egyptians as they were heading north. And I love that it's used here over the danger motive and then with the Mrs. Coulter chords kicking in three different themes combining to tell us narratively. And I'm assuming that you had already figured out what she was coming there to do. But essentially, she's trying to save Lyra from danger. She wants Lyra to be playful. That's Lyra's theme in there. She wants to stop the danger. That's why the motive danger is there. And it's her carrying out this mission. And that's why her chords are there as well. And that's what I'm going to leave you with. Holly and I will be back to spin the tiny wheel of topics for these episodes next. got a lot of topics to talk about here holly mm. let's spin the wheel hate it when my glasses fail me and the lettering is so small what does it say holly uh, did your glasses mcfail you or did they mcfear you is what, oh. this, <laughs> what it says well yeah i should have been able to see that so they evidently mcfailed me uh mcfail <laughs> or mc or, or mcfear uh here's a guy <clears throat> who still can't get over Mrs. Coulter in any way, shape, or form. He's trembling when he's praying to the authority. And yet he's one of the scariest dudes right now to me uh, because he seems scared. It's like, it's like when you back something into the corner and they have no choice but to come out and fight. And I think throughout the course of these two episodes, and maybe I'm placing some of the emphasis on the other episode, on the uh fourth episode over the third but just his ideas of how to destroy eve of how to do all of this the measures that he's going to um the way that uh he seems to have father gomez completely in his pocket somebody who i wouldn't want to have in my pocket anyway uh the fact that his demon has to calm him down when he's praying it, it all just seems so unstable and scary to me. I don't know. How did you feel about the fail scenes for 
at least episode three. Yeah, um, I it is terrifying, and and it's <laughs> people in the church, um, in our world, like McPhail, are the reason, or you know, just one of the reasons I I don't care for the church in our world. Um, scary place, scary people. So doing a great job of that. So if you're not a if you're not a church fan, it's uh it's really fun and easy to hate on McPhail for sure. And yeah, his I mean, even it's the beginning of this episode, um, with the intro, it's kinda cutting back and forth between Lyra and her dream uh about Roger and and McPhail and and the dialogue he says in this opening is like she this child cannot survive. I mean Wow. I mean, this, this church is just full of magisterium is ready to full on murder Lyra. That's, that's hardcore. That's, that's harsh. I mean, yeah. And that's, it, that's a scary man. Yeah. Well, this is a church that obviously offers no sense of forgiveness. You're either in or you're out. And, uh, the problem that I have is that when you've got somebody who seemingly is unstable as McPhail is, at the top deciding who is in and who is out there's no way that uh any kind of system be it a government or a church system or whatever can be fair and we've never seen uh you know the magisterium or the oblation board or any of that stuff actually be fair but nonetheless um it just the the instability really added an extra dimension of fear i will say that i really enjoyed seeing a very disheveled Father Gomez stumble back into the magisterium. <laughs> yeah. Good for that guy. But you're right. Um, you're right. It, it is, uh, it is terrifying to have somebody like that. Um, you know, like you said, kind of backed into a corner and his fear of messing up. He's just so volatile and you don't, he, he looks like he'll do anything to protect, uh, to protect himself and protect his interests. And, uh, anything they were trying to be subtle about in the first season or the second season or really mostly the first season as far as what they were doing with children and how they were trying to be discreet. Like all of that is just completely out the window now. Like they're just full on on a, on a child hunt. And, um, and as we're going to see in episode four, what they plan to do is, even more horrific than just outright killing her. So, ugh, yeah, absolutely. I, you but, know, I, I just got to say, Will Keen is killing it. Like, I, I yeah. really, I am enjoying his performance a lot. It's, it's crazy, and it, and it is just mind-boggling to still remember. Like, this is Daphne Keen's real dad playing this role, and what a, what a, what? How much fun to be like a villain opposite your hero daughter in a in a show, like. That's really cool. How weird must it be for Ruth Wilson to be looking at Daphne's dad and him always refer to uh, Daphne as your child to her? Yeah, right. <laughs> or to right. have to refer to, to, or to have to tell him my child to him. Yeah. That, that's got to be a little, you got to get past the character. You got to get really into the character to get past those kinds of things. If you're or, the, or the lusting after the real mother of his show child, you know, like, or the, the, the show mother of his real child. I mean, so yeah, I, yeah, I'm getting it's weird. It's, <laughs> I'm getting it. And, and what is going on with that thing? I, I mean, we can get more into this. I guess, well, I don't know exactly when it was said. If it was it said uh, in episode three or was it said in was, episode four where she I said we're intertwined. Because she's there. You know, she's with like. Oh, that's right. It's when she there. shows up. At, so. Okay. So we'll talk more about that in episode yeah. four. But he did bring in uh, Dr. Cooper in this episode, right? 
So, yeah. uh, and the way that he was with Dr. Cooper, uh, showed that, that person backed into a wall, uh, yeah. because he was very harsh with her. Well, I think I can read this. Gee, thanks for all the help, Bathalmos. Mm. Um, and I think I pretty much covered what I had to say about it in, in the first part. It's like, what was the point of Bathalmos? Well, okay, maybe he's on another path. Maybe he's got more stuff to do later on in the series. There's only, you know, this series is half over now. Uh, this season is half over, so I can't imagine how much more he has to do. And most of the time he spends it off screen, but he tells you he was there all the time, and he tells you that there's nothing he can do. Um, there are things about Book Bathalmos that I think we can say because it's been clearly defined as a different adaptation. Bathalmos is such a miserable character in yes. Amber Spyglass. Just a miserable character. Even before the whole thing with Baruch happens, he's just, what, petulant? Is that a good way to describe him? Cynical? And, I don't, yeah, cynical, I would say, maybe. Yeah, just very- and, and there's none of that here. I, I, I mean, I, I, this is one of those adaptation choices where I'm just kind of like, you know, maybe it would have been better just not to have him at all. And I know fans would have screamed bloody murder not to have him and Baruch in it, but what, purpose to the story has he served to this point i have no investment in this character i have very little investment in the angels i think the angel i'm most invested in is Zephania, who's sitting over there on the the council but never shows up uh for any of the meetings evidently because she wasn't there with the for the uh mrs coulter council yeah okay so i don't know what it is about this series but and the way they're doing this adaptation is a lot of these small changes really aren't bothering me. And I think it's just the nature of the pacing of the last two books. I personally feel like they're paced pretty quickly and they are young adult novels, so they don't dwell in details and like, uh, you know, Philip Pullman doesn't really dwell in the details or spend a lot of, he could spend more time world building, especially for me, like after, you know, being immersed in Martin's universe, it's, it's kind of weird to go back and read all of this. And it's, there's a lot there, but what we know about it isn't very much. And I kind of feel that way about these characters. It's so fast paced in the book. Like it's, it everything moves so quickly in the book that I feel like I didn't really get a chance to connect with the characters anyway even in the books so i'm I'm, i just kind of feel the same way here as i did reading um i'm i'm always going to be more attached to to will and lyra and and pan you know the kind of like our heroes in the story um and then you know also curious about what mrs coulter and um asriel are doing and then as far as all of these other tertiary characters there's another galavespian that I guess has been completely left out now. I, I wasn't sure if we had talked about that previously, or maybe I was just waiting to see if we were going to see that character come, but I guess we're not getting it again. I'm really not that upset about it, to be honest. And uh, I know there's a lot of people out there who get, who are upset about a lot of these little changes. It's not, it's not hitting me like that way though. It's not hitting me hard. I, it's not bothering me. Uh, anything else on this or spin the wheel? Well, let's spin the wheel. What does it say, Holly? Focus on what matters, or when there's a will, there's a way. Gee, I wonder what kind. Of, I wonder who could have possibly wrote that dad joke. Oh. Um, that would be me. Uh, okay, so lots of little subcategories we can talk about here as far as will is concerned. 
Uh, do you have anything to say about the land of the dead argument? Because to me, that was just a mini little CW show, uh, that was happening there so that we could say, Oh, they're teenage kids. Oh, they're angsty. Oh, they don't know how to deal with their feelings. Oh, wait, suddenly they do. That's the kind of thing that happens in a CW show like Riverside. I don't need that. I I guess I don't watch a lot of CW shows. Um, I guess this a difference from the book to the show that I actually don't mind is that in the books, Will is 100% game to go with Lyra to the world of the dead for the reasons they get to, um, like in the episode that maybe he, you know, he wants to talk to his dad. Um, I like that in the show, Will is a little bit more doubtful. Um, it kind of plays with into that theme of what we get into, you know, later uh, at the end of the episode when they are trying to mend the knife uh, and Lyra's conversation about doubt and what that means. It's not a bear. It's not human to doubt it. Like it, it's neither of those things to doubt. It's uh, but good people doubt. So I, I kind of like that they included that. Um, and it also it will get to it in episode four. But like when we talk about episode four, but Lyra's just decision to go and and nothing to nothing stopping like I, I we needed some somebody to question lyra a little bit more i know everybody's been questioning her but like we needed somebody completely on her side to kind of doubt and question lyra's intentions um for going to the land of the well, dead let's and face it going to the land of the dead is crazy it's wacko it's crazy right i we i need i, I liked seeing will fight her on it a little bit I don't mind that it was a whatever teenager fight. I don't, I don't care. I think, I think we needed that. Okay. Well, I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't have minded the debate, but as long as they're going to treat them like they're such mature kids as they're cutting into from Chittagaze into, into Carlos's place. This, you're touching on the topic that maybe that's where I start to maybe have, I don't want to say complaints or gripes, but that's where I'm, I'm like not sure that they know exactly which direction they want to go in. Um, but again, we can I think a lot of this we're gonna have to cover more and once we get to our episode four stuff anyway. So uh how about the reforging of the knife? I love York's instructions. Um I understand why they did the cutaway where you just see the knife being molded a little more, being hammered, being placed in water, you know, to cool. And we all can't afford stuff. bare hands. Mm-mm. We well, can't. We can't I, be having. We, we can't. Balls. We can't afford for it to look <laughs> as stupid as it might have looked. I it think would have looked it's, pretty bad, probably. Um, so we we couldn't afford to have uh, just totally just we have a great character in York. Let's not wreck it. Is is what I feel like the the whole idea of that was. I did like how all of the things that were on the surface that were clouding Will's mind had to do with his parents, and the thing that was at the bottom of it uh, was Lyra uh, mm-hmm. that that allowed him to find the clarity. I I actually so what was it would have been distracting more distracting to just have like just the shot of the knife if the knife didn't look so interesting I really like how they made where the knife shattered kind of raised as it was mended back together and it added that new detail to the knife so I was actually more focused on that when we were doing the weird like hammering and the and the cooling um part aspect so I I wasn't thinking about like lack of bear paws as much as I was like focused on how different and neat the knife looks now. So 
I guess that was kind of a success because it, it distracted me from it. I didn't think about there was no bear paws holding it until somebody else mentioned it later on the internet. I was like, oh yeah, I guess we didn't. But so huh. we didn't talk about um, the warning, like Yorick's warnings. We can probably talk. We didn't really talk about that too much about York being like really just uneasy about the knife in general and, um, and their purpose. And um, yeah. Did you have any thoughts about that? Well, you know, uh, one of the things that I like, was York standing his ground because even when he saw that knife for the first time, uh, what was at the end of episode one of this season, you know, to York, that knife is just a distortion of things that should be or should not. Yeah. It's strange. How did you do that? Do that again. That knife is strange. Okay. Well, that's not (laughs) as good a York as I thought it sounded. That's I was talking, but it's still a pretty good York. Uh, he almost sounds kind of like Coach T, uh, which is kind of terrible. Um, at any rate, uh, it's strange. I'm just gonna keep practicing it while you're recording. Sorry, <laughs> that knife just, is just, strange. Just throw that in anytime. I, okay. I, just as soon as I leave a pause somewhere in there, just just throw that in there. It'll be perfect. Uh, strange. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. Okay, stop. Uh, so no, I really like that he kind of held his guns. Um, and I loved, and this doesn't have anything to do with Will, but I love the fact that he called Lyra out, uh, when she told him that the alethiometer was talking about balance and all this stuff. And then it said yes. And oh, she like, played him. She played him so hard. It was great. I love it. But he called her out on it. He still called her a silver tongue. Because uh, she got, that's what he, that's how she played him is she made it. You know what? That was weird because that was another complaint I saw people in the book, like people who read the books were like, oh, the alethiometer is like absolutely sure in the book when when she asks to like, that is that what they're supposed to do? It's like a hard yes. Um, so I think it's kind of funny that like if if, you know, if we're staying true to the book that like she kind of made. I don't know if she was trying to maybe put York at ease and be like, yeah, maybe the lithiometer say it's not such a good idea, but it's still telling no, me she yes. she was playing a joke on him. She was being mean. <laughs> Lyra is always being mean. <clears throat> Lyra is strange. Uh, I I like, I really loved that moment, though, when he says Lyra, like he's like a dad, like, you know, like fussing at his child. I was like, oh my God, Lyra has all of the best dads that are not her actual dad. And York Bronison is one of them. Um, and York's the only one that really seems to have like a healthy fear of the knife versus anybody else who's just trying to grab it and wield it. It says Ugunwe, Ruta, and Roke. So Ugunwe and the double R's. Um, <laughs> not a whole lot to say about this. I think there was probably more to say about Ugunwe, and we probably missed our opportunity in episode one. I You said a lot of nice things about Ugunwe. Um, here... Him and Ruta obviously are not very much for Mrs. Coulter, and and he he's just more skeptical. Ruta has a reason to hate her. Ruta was the one who had to come and release um, that witch from being tortured by giving her the release of death, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That uh, Mrs. Coulter was torturing in the boat or wherever she was torturing them. So I understand Ruta's motivation. There was a little talk in there between Ugunwe and Ruta. You think they're trying to put something there between the two of them? Yeah, I think they started setting that up from the first episode of the season or like the first time we see them meet. I think they definitely were 
they've yeah they've been like showing them kind of appreciating each other's whatever they got ruta's the one that knew who a gunway was right that was who uh that's who asriel said found found him was ruta so i think it's kind of cute that she was just like a witch watching him from afar and and he's like what's up you know i don't know it's it's i didn't feel much of anything building between them in these two episodes but i did get that feeling from episodes one and two that they were maybe trying to set them up I mean, all of the only thing that this council really does is just prove what an Asriel that Asriel is, because they all have these reservations and they speak these reservations. He says, sure, speak your mind. And then he jumps in and talks about things while they're trying to investigate Mrs. Coulter. And it's almost like they can't say no to the dude. So is he is he any more of a liberator or is he just as much of a dominator just with a few different rules? A lot of people out there might disagree with me. A lot of people out there might not like this version of Asriel. I think it really makes sense for his character and what he's been doing this whole time that he would, of course, just not really care about her and not believe that she's Eve. It does sound ridiculous. If I was him, I would probably think it sounds absurd, too, and not believe it. My daughter is the you know, origin of sin. But... I'm on Mrs. Coulter's side because at least she's smart enough to realize that the Magisterium doesn't care whether that's that idea is stupid or not. They are going to try to kill her and she's going to protect, do everything she can to protect her daughter. I, I did like the way that Mrs. Coulter answered them. Uh, honestly, even though it wasn't the answers that they wanted to necessarily hear and probably not the answers that she necessarily wanted to really give them, but she was in such a desperate place to help her daughter that she was willing to actually expose herself in a lot of ways. Now, does she actually feel terrible about separating children from their demons and, and this stuff? Maybe not. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, or not at least it's not as terrible as she, as she acted like, or she stated that she had felt nonetheless, um, the desperate, nature of trying to actually i guess confirm their points of view to her but show that it was for a reason uh i thought was quite admirable of mrs coulter whereas everybody just seemed like you know i've got all these reasons to hate you and to put you in jail forever and whatever okay well we're gonna let you just hang out that's fine it serves the mrs coulter character but I didn't get any service of any of those other characters out of it because uh, every point that they brought up suddenly became completely moot um, until Mrs. Coulter stole the intention craft at the end of the episode. And even then when Asriel, Asriel gave her a nod and, and I suppose Lord Roka nod as he was jumping in there as well. But uh, you know, and then he tells a gunway, well, she's just, you know, she's going to protect her mother. She can probably do more good with this thing that we just, this priceless piece of machinery that we just gave her. Uh, she I'll just was make much another. better at operating than Azrael was, by the way. Like, yeah. wow, that thing was like so smooth and quiet. Like, she, oh, so Azrael is driving like 
when Azrael's driving the intention craft, it's like one of those those cars without they they remove the mufflers or whatever, and they go like ridiculously loud down the road and obnoxious. Whereas like Mrs. Coulter uh, riding the intention craft, she's in a Prius. Like she just it was so smooth, so perfect. I again, I'm just gonna keep gushing about marissa coulter in this episode and it's this is more true in episode four but i love that we're actually finally finally starting to see how actually intelligent she is and not just like how good at manipulating people she is those are two different types of intelligence and like the way but she is actually very very smart um she has to be to be one of the few educated women from her world and to have risen as high as she has it is so nice to see that she like to see some brains though um and see like we know she's responsible for building all of these things but seeing her like look at things and figure things out extremely quickly i love that i i'm mm, i'm so happy i'm so happy we're getting this yes but uh, uh, wait i got i got one more thing about Azriel and and marisa um in this episode um about the end but um i <laughs> again on the poll is it marisa or marissa or does it depend on how you feel we'll put that on the poll at the dust podcast on twitter go ahead just during that moment i said okay i'm dame off on asriel this episode <laughs> no i'm not making excuses for him it was no. it was terrible and mm-hmm. and she you know good for him spitting in their face and the way she told him to stay back get back don't touch her yeah Get your hands I'm for it. All that was great. That was great stuff. The line that absolutely killed Azrael for me, and probably will for the rest of this series, no matter what he does or or how good he does it, is when he told her, "Why can't you be who I want you to be?" Yep. That was the most unhealthy line I, I've ever heard. A guy who claims that who clearly thinks that he still is in love with this woman, uh, it's not healthy. Whatever, whatever he's got going on as far as his thoughts about her, that, that was offensive. It was. I'm, I'm glad it's included though, because I, kind of going back to what we were talking, what I was saying earlier, I was, I'm kind of flipped the script. I, I'm definitely more team Marissa than I am team Asriel. I think the show's done a really good job of, of really showing us why Asriel is, a terrible father uh besides just neglecting you know lyra and leaving her to grow up in a college and all of the just things a terrible all, man. Of, all of the the negligent things he done are you know is one thing but just this it, this showed us who he really was and like really how he's gonna do nothing is gonna change his motivation he is gonna put what he wants first always non-stop and um and now I'm thinking about what Lyra is going to do in the next episode. So kind of like, like father, like daughter. But um, I think I think that's a good thing for us to see that Azriel is, even though he's on the side of the good, he is not a good man. Yeah. Well, this wheel has run out of topics, so it's time to move on to Holly's second favorite game behind three words, and that's what's worse. What's worse? Okay, so I have a question written down, Holly. Do you have a question written down? Or no. do you want to just do one question per round here? Let's just do one question per round. All right. Do you want to ask do you want to ask the question or do you want to because whoever asks the question this round will have to be asked the question the next round. So you I'll give you the choice. Do you want to ask this question or do you want to be asked this question? Um 
you can ask me the question. Why were it strange? Uh, okay. What's worse? Being encouraged to go to the land of the dead, even though it sounds crazy and dangerous, or taking orders for a bear? This is a will-centric question, obviously. I'm going to say <laughs> it's worse to be encouraged to go to the land of the dead because it's crazy and dangerous. What? Yeah. And I would rather not, I'd rather take orders from a bear, honestly. I'm a good follower though. I'm a good team player. I like, I like, I like taking orders. (laughs) It sounds weird. (laughs) (laughs) Holy is strange. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, well, I guess I have, is that all you got? That that's all there is. I mean, land of the dead or being ordered around by a bear. I mean, I guess it depends on what the bear is ordering me to do. But if it's fixing it, if it's like fixing, no, yeah, I'll be ordered around by York Burnison any day. All right. There's several reasons why you're completely wrong. (sighs) One is the land of the dead is real. And so therefore it should not be feared near as much as a bear who is also real. Because the land of the dead, if you have a knife, you can go in and out of. You can actually get in and out of that place. And that means that you can get into or out of dangerous situations. When you're taking orders from a bear, what if the bear isn't friendly? What if the bear gives you orders to stand there while he slices you in half? Are you going to take that order? No, you're not going to take that order because that's much more dangerous than just being in the land of the dead where you can cut in or you can cut out. That's my argument. That's what I'm saying. We'll put it on a poll. You can vote for Holly because she's clearly right here. Anybody would should take orders from a bear as opposed to being in the land of the dead. Nonetheless, we'll put it on a poll, and I do expect you, at least one of you, one of you to vote for for my side of the story because come on you can't always depend on the bear being a, a york what if i didn't say the bear york i said a bear in my question it was trick i tricked holly wheel of topics this time around i can read this one take me to the best places speaking of I witches thought- Seems like it goes right hand in hand with our last what's worse question. What you got on this, Holly? This, I just loved this line, honestly. It was, um, uh, this episode did not, especially with the Will and Lyra scenes, not a lot of, not a lot of fun there, but that was just really cute. Um, I just, I just, I thought that was a really sweet moment that they'll all have, yeah, I'm going to go to Land of the Dead. You take me to the best places or, yeah. yeah what That was a smart aleck remark. Will we be. needed that though. We needed that moment. <laughs> many more of those moments. Um, so I was I Lyra just... had slapped him. Yeah. I feel like Lyra deserves all the slapping in this episode, but. She does an awful lot of uh, dangling truths out there without actually speak speaking them she's like with pan especially um which i guess we can talk about but it, it just feels feels like that uh they've really taken some uh some of the i guess you would say some of the resentment that is present in the the next book series um i feel like they really planted a lot of seeds here but we can talk oh. more about that in the book section sure all lots of seeds but i'm i'm good with it actually i think it works for the story overall i i'm not complaining about it i'm just saying that it, it's there is all oh, i yeah. was pointing out 
Um, yeah, we'll, you know, Will tries to make the best of a situation by trying to make a joke. Um, so that, that was good. I love that. Spin the wheel again. Spin the wheel. Where did it land, Holly? All right. Uh, in negotiations with Mrs. Coulter. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, she's in negotiations with a lot of people in this episode no. with McVeigh, with Roke, uh, with, uh, Dr. Cooper. Uh, she's kind of like, uh, almost negotiating with her mother, wherever her mother is, who sent, where they got this trunk. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, uh, by taking on some of the things that was in the trunk. Um, and then of course, uh, there's all kinds of wonderful things about Mrs. Coulter in this episode. We've been gushing about her already this particular, uh, podcast episode just from episode three and bleeding into this one. But what have you else have you got on Mrs. Coulter this episode? Holly. I, I love, I, I really do like this part in the book with Roke uh, and how, you know, she does, you know, get away from Asriel and he is, and Roke is sent to like spy on her. And I do love how they end up kind of teaming up um, to, you know, figure out what's going down at the Magisterium. Uh, and I, I just, I love that so much. Um, I think that's great. Great stuff. Um, and so I think Roke is probably my favorite use of the Galavaspians. I know we're going to talk about how we're not there. Salamaki is not there with Lyra and Will in the Land of the Dead. Like, she should be in the books. Whatever. I'm indifferent to that. I do love this stuff with Roke and Mrs. Coulter, though. And I'm really glad that we have it. Good stuff. This is the one thing that has given me any hint of having investment in the Galavaspians at all. Otherwise, to me, they're just little claymation-looking uh, computer graphic with Skylab solar panels on their backs. And uh, I like Roke. Um, I'm not exactly... See, the thing that always hurts me is when they just throw in lines like, well, I can't communicate with Azrael because my lodestone resonator doesn't work anymore. It broke while I was getting into the attention craft. Show me that. Don't tell me that. Show me that when he gets into the thing. I didn't, I don't recall seeing anything at the end of episode three that showed me that. Um, I feel like the book does the same thing though. I feel like the book is a lot of tell and don't show. And, um, so I, I don't know. Again, I get it. Like, but that isn't for, for this, for me, it's not one of those things that really like you gets can put to things me. in your imagination in, in that. But when you're in a television show, I need to be, I need it to be shown to me because see, now I don't know if he's lying to her or not. I think what I wish we would get a little bit more out of the Galavespians is just, um, their a little bit of their story um so we know a gunway like they're taking children in a gunway's world but like we don't really know anything about the galavespian world and like except that they're small but like what does the magisterium look like to them or what does the authority look like to them and what does like what does their process like what is their you know i guess uh aging maturity process for adolescence that um like what's the thing for them is it when they get their wings like that's what i would like to know more information like give give me do more they all only wear thing. black do they all only wear black do they only get their wings when like uh when i guess somebody from liar's world when their demon would settle is it is that all connected and is whatever the authority or magisterium doing in their world 
stopping them from flying or like what what are they trying to inhibit in their world um like i said i just i would just want more of that i i that's what i would need because otherwise they're they're just just random characters kind of pulled together to kind of tell the story uh mcphail now they are intertwined according to mrs coulter i love how she uses her sexuality to the most abstinent man she's ever met to intimidate him. I don't like that they've made him so sexually attracted to her. I don't like that when she uses a phrase like that, it might put a question in somebody who's not paying attention's mind as to, wait, did they have sex? No. She just called him the most abstinent man she'd ever met. So that can't be the case. So what are they intertwined about? Oh, yeah, murdering a cardinal. That's what they're intertwined about. When you see that after she levels the accusation, he's phased by it at first. But by the time he's sending her away, he's going to take care of the problem. He's going to, I think what they're planning here is they're going to separate her from her demon, right? They're going to do the same. They're going to do the whole blade thing that they did at Ballvanger to her. And that's what's going to give the energy for this bomb, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she gave him right. she gave him blue balls to to rage. <laughs> um That's a double B. It it is a double B. I yeah. loved the introduction of uh or at least the the thought process of this whole idea of the trunk. And everything and how that uh, evidently was sent over by mom or, or they found it from mom or whatever. Uh, Madame Delamare, I believe, or Delamar is the uh, woman in question that was Mrs. Coulter's mother. But the way the reason why I love this, Holly, is because the rage with which she slams that lid back down. And then you go back and you think to season two and that conversation between her and Lee Scoresby when they had Lee Scoresby in jail. And you've put all of that together and oh my gosh, what has Marisa or Marissa, whichever you want to call her, what has she been going through her entire life? It's just, it's heartbreaking to see that, you know, that anger come out of her in that moment. And it's just because it's her mother. And I can directly link that in my mind and maybe I'm being incorrect here, but I can directly link that to that conversation between her and Lee, where we found out just how vulnerable Mrs. Coulter is in returns of how she had been abused. That, to me, was one of the most defining moments of these two episodes. I loved it. I I apologize. Can you remind me about that conversation with Lee? What does she say about her mother? Because I... He's talking about abuse. His abuse, and she's affected by it. And she's affected okay. by it. Okay, cool. Okay, I forgot. I, I didn't remember that. Um and this does get into some interesting territory um, with the, like you alluded to earlier, Matt, with the sequel trilogy. This is potentially some more kind of maybe groundwork, groundwork being laid there. Um, but it doesn't really give us like too much information. But it was really interesting to hear, just, just to even hear about Marissa's mother uh, in this episode. And that's all I'll say until we get to book stuff. Well, yeah, one of the things that I think that I, what I love about the fact that they're taking information from those other books and putting it in here is it fleshes out the character completely 
as that character would exist in this story. Even if you don't get it from Philip's books because he didn't re reveal it later. If you don't get it from Pullman's books because he didn't reveal it later, you can always go back and then think about that stuff as you're rereading, right? Mm -hmm. But here, because we have access to the other material, it can all be folded into the universe at the same time, which I think is one of the best things about the adaptation of this story, personally. I I agree 100%. Um, and I will talk more about that. Well... I will just tell Mrs. Coulter that we all need support. Um, and I, again, I already mentioned this, but I busted a gut during that entire sequence from the moment that she looks at, at Mr. Roke or at Lord Roke and he goes the other way and she goes the other way. And, and that attendant is following her around. Uh, you can't go there. You can't go there. And she just keeps going and says, but I need to repent. I must repent. Where's the chapel? No, wait, the authority doesn't talk as well to me in my room as he does in his room. So I need to find the authority. And she just keeps going door to door, door to door. Uh, and the best part about it was every time there was a gag, like when she opened up the doors to the chapel and everybody else was in there worshiping and she said, not interesting. Lauren stopped the music. He let the, he let, he let her take the center stage. With, oh, nice. with the gag and then she, the music starts up again she turns around and then there's the attendant again and uh and then the music stops again and she gets to deliver the goal the the line perfect uh it's just as important when you where you take music out as it is where you put it in so i i thought that that made it that much more funny i and we don't know really anything about mrs Coulter's mother but i like to think that when she put that dress on and she put her hair, she did her hair in that way that she was in a weird way channeling her mother. And I felt like that was, she was like just being her mother in that moment, especially with that line about like, well, I think God hears me best in his house. That just sounds like something her mother would probably have said. Um, I like, I like, I like that a lot. That was good stuff. Me too. Spin the wheel. Landed on a topic that we were kind of just on, the Magisterium Mayhem. And That's a, a double M. Double M. Magisterium Mayhem. And a DNA bomb. Yes. Um, I love Dr. Cooper. Uh, not, not because I, I mean, I don't love Dr. Cooper as a person. I don't love Dr. Cooper as a character. Man, I can't help but feel a little bit of empathy for her. Where that fox seemed so scary in season one, it's just pathetic looking now. She she's drank herself practically to death. Poor Miss Doctor Cooper has, uh, and who wouldn't after all that stuff that she went through up at Volvanger and uh, the way that she's being treated by Father McPhail, and then just the way that uh, her and Mrs. Coulter interact to me was just golden um this is privileged stuff well you've always taken such good care of me dr cooper well and you took good care i i just loved all of that i i feel terrible for her she's in a horrible position and i would be drinking too <laughs> for sure if i was in her position but nonetheless i i feel i just feel bad for her uh, can't help it on the other hand this is very nefarious stuff that she's put together She's got, she's going to split a soul from a body to give it the energy to create a bomb that can read a lock of hair that can then send it 
relentlessly. It will be relentless. Those were the words that she used to Father McPhail, Father President McPhail, pardon me. And that's just horrific. It's a DNA bomb. And what do you do to fight that? Mrs. Coulter thought she had. She had rope go get the hair. Evidently, that's not all the hair. They were smart enough to separate enough out to where they could use it to read. Um, I guess they knew what she was going to do because they were spying on her somehow. I don't know what's going on there. I loved that she walked into that room and figured out within 15 seconds that we were making a bomb and how they were making the bomb and what they were going to do. And then it's only too late that she realizes that, you know, after they take the lock of hair, that like, it's for Lyra. That's bad. Um, So yeah, she trying to save Lyra. She ended up putting her in a worse position and potentially herself in a worse position, but ah, uh, man, um, I got to respect her for doing everything she can to at least try to save her child. Unlike Asriel, who's just gonna let her wander alone in the land of the dead, not worry about her. Um, and yeah, Dr. Cooper, um, I don't think I feel quite as bad for her as you do. I was starting now and forgive me. I feel terrible because now I don't remember. Was she severed in the first season? Because like, if she wasn't, it feels like she has since been severed, but that also could just be maybe the depression and everything she's been through since, you know, nearly dying in season one. She didn't seem quite as blank as like the nun did. That's what she felt more blank than to me this time than she did previously, which is why I thought about it. But again, I could be wrong. It could just be all of everything else that she's been through. Ready to spin the wheel? Let's do it. It landed on the quadruple M. Quadruple M. Mary Malone's marvelous Malefa. Well, oh, not a lot really to say here because we don't really know much except for this weird creature that I'm telling you guys is called the Malefa because they didn't tell us in the show yet. Um, the, that Mary the subtitles did give that Malefa a name, a tall. Um, it says, did. yeah, so it, it did say that Atal speaks, and that's when we got Unga. Unga. Which do you think I that was eat? Because then she like ate right after, but I don't know. I it could mean eat, it could mean or it could mean for you. Unga. <laughs> what a nice, how nice. I, I would love to go camping outside and have breakfast brought to me by a seemingly magical creature seems cool that talks i don't know what language it speaks but it's talking yeah it was communicating those berries were really small and that trunk wasn't like exactly tiny and i appreciated how the berries were just like all sitting straight up on the plate rock uh, like it was really beautiful presentation um, for this breakfast meal, I I really appreciated the uh, the effort put into the the presentation. I appreciated the fine china because Michelin, Michelin where, where are you gonna where are you gonna get a human sized cup mm. uh, in this world? I don't know. That, yeah. that looked like a that looked like that cup looks like it was made out of like a coconut or something like it. Hmm. Wonder what that could be. I wonder too. Hmm. 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 
more on that in book talk, maybe. Maybe. So let's do uh, it. Let's, let's just get to the sad. I think let's let's do it. I think we only have one topic on the on the wheel left. Really, it's sad. Well, I I have one other topic here, okay. and I'll just roll it into this one real quick. Uh, we don't because we don't give Mary Malone enough credit. I, I the stuff she hasn't been given a whole lot, but at least well, now we know that her story is somewhere that she's in this whole new place, and we kind of get to explore it with her. So I'm very happy about that. The other thing that I was excited about is uh, Lyra meeting her death. So yeah, the concept of um, people having their own death and it's born with and it goes your whole life with you um i i have always found this terrifying kind of freaky idea a really comforting it's actually a very comforting notion um and i i i like that and it's it's one of those things that sometimes i forget about it and then when i like reread the series um and i get to this part uh and um, i like I, I always want to tell myself, I was like, oh, I should just pretend like my death is with me all the time. And then I can be like my imaginary friend, my death. Um, so I might, I might bring that back. Um, Lyra is strange. Yes. Death is strange. Um, so, but yeah, super, super interesting. Um, and I liked how they left some of it kind of cryptic in the, and because that way that made the, the end, uh, that much more impactful. Because right. you know they and, had that conversation because Lyra turns around to her, her and says, "Will he understand?" And they had had no conversation about it. But it's you know, now you know that Lyra knew what was going to happen anyway, or she thought that Will wouldn't be able to go because he wasn't accepting of his death. Which is here is another thing. All these people are waiting around in this hub. And they're just waiting for the deaths to come by and and take them to the boat. Nobody is resisting, even though the boatman does say at the end, he says, yeah, I've had people resist before, because I guess that's the moment of truth. Yeah. But nobody is resisting. Yet we have Roger, while everybody else is walking like zombies through these whole two episodes, just zombies in a line, going to wherever it is that they have to go. Roger's struggling against it. And there are people who are carrying him, fighting against him. We see him actually try to struggle against people in, in this dream that Lyra has back in episode three. Why is Roger the only one fighting this that we see? Why aren't there more people fighting this? Is he actually fighting it or is Lyra just dreaming that he is? Mm. Okay. I retract my question. I don't, you know, it's kind of ambiguous in the books, whether like, it's it's kind of easy to assume that what Lyra's seeing in her dream is real because we eventually do go to the land of the dead. Um, so I don't really know how to interpret that. Actually, I don't. I am not sure um, if what she was dreaming was real and what she was seeing was real, or if it was just I don't know some weird way that he was able to actually reach out to her and communicate with her um through the dream and everything else is just something that she was just seeing just not but not real i don't know it there's a lot of questions again it's not a question i desperately need the answer to so i probably won't dwell on it 
Uh, so one thing when I was reading the book, and I don't remember if it's explicit in the book, um, and not in the show, or if I'm just interpreting it that way, but like the whole concept of like seeing your death, um, my interpretation was from the book is like that was a diff that was its own world. Like there was a world where people saw their death with like like Lyra has Lyra's world has demons, um, or whatever else we have. I kind of I was under the impression that there is a world where people are born and they have their deaths with them that they can see and speak to their entire life. Um, I could be misinterpreting that or misremembering. Oh, I thought that was where they were when they were waiting to go on the boat, but maybe I'm wrong. I also thought that all deaths were male for some reason in reading the book. I think I thought it was, I'm going to have to see, I'm going to have to go back and and reread. Um, And I haven't done that very in a while. So or at least at Lyra's death. Was I thought male. it was, yeah, because I thought like it was kind of like the demon. Thing. It was the opposite. It was the opposite gender okay. of your of your gender. But I, again, could be wrong. So so sorry, podcast listeners, if it's frustrating that I don't remember these details. Um, but yeah, I I like that idea. Um, and I, do you think it's weird that we, even though Will has accepted what like what lyra wants him to do we don't see will seeing his death i thought that was interesting but like i figured if you are willingly going to the land of the dead you're ready to go aren't you he also didn't need his death to lead him to the boat because he had lyra to lead him to the boat and she was following her own death so maybe they're playing it that way yeah that 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 is right that is right okay that makes sense so as long as Lyra was following her own death uh, and he just follows her. Now, there could have been something, you know, land of the dead physics wise or something that could have kept him from being able to follow her completely. But they didn't do that. So, I mean, theoretically, not actual story wise. Right, right, right. But yeah. No. Yeah. Okay. So. There's one topic left on the wheel. We'll black all of the other ones out so that it can only land on this one. Or if it lands on any others, it still lands on this one. So spin the wheel one last time. It has landed on I love you dot 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 just You're probably really mad at us podcast listeners for waiting this long in the podcast to talk about this. The reason why we did is because we wanted Holly to have clear eyes for as long in the podcast as we possibly could. Um, and we're not going to, we're not going to torture ourselves too much, uh, talking about this because I, I think the scene says all it needs to say. Uh, and everybody on the internet. Uh, has, I mean, if you don't express emotions of great sorrow watching this, then you aren't even human. And I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. So poor Holly here. I'm, <laughs> do you want to try and talk or do you want me to just talk? No, I, I do. I was gonna say, if you're watching, you got to see me start crying immediately once the wheel like landed. So yeah, here, here we are. Um, this is a moment. If y'all been, if we've been listening to us since the beginning. I have been probably teasing this moment as like one of the, I don't know, most heartbreaking, earth shattering things I've 
ever read in my life. And then watching it, it was not any better. <laughs> Let me tell you, watching it was just as hard. Um, wow. Um, yeah, I, I saw the boatman and um, immediately lost it. Um, like before, you know, the scene even really begun. Um, it is extremely hard for me to to just deal with goodbyes in general, and the idea of leaving a manifestation of your soul on the shore so you can go and and apologize to your friend for like what you did to like that to his death i mean like on the one hand i think what she's doing is so is is the fact that she's willing to die to do this i think makes her i don't it's there's something special about that and i i respect the heck out of it for her what makes me so mad is that it never once occurred to her that that going that doing this would mean this i don't know why she was like It was, it's a little naive for her to think, um, to think that she would just be able to just walk in there with Pan, um, and like, and just walk through the land of the dead without any consequences, even though she said she was prepared to die. It's like she really had no idea what dying meant for her and Pan. It seemed like she would have known that. She had seen, you know, people get killed around her and their demons just like, go into dust i don't know what she was thinking and that and i I know a lot of people out there are really frustrated with lyra for being really selfish and i totally totally get that and i feel this way too and um it's probably a a gripe i have with um i kind of complimented how they aged up the characters a little bit or at least they made the passage of time seem like greater because of how much older the actors look now but that worked last week. But what doesn't work this week is that they're this naive, that they're this young and naive at, at this point. I'm sorry. Like, it, it, that becomes a little bit more harder for me to swallow. So I do have a gripe with that. And I, and it is really easy to just be so angry at Lyra for not thinking of Pan. And, and I mean, really, I started being angry with her at the beginning of this season, knowing this was coming. But at the beginning of episode three, when she's being withholding about the dream, um, it it was frustrating to me. Like she is already, it's like she knew, she knew, and she was already putting this distance and this wall up between her and Pan, so she wouldn't have to 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 maybe make this easier for her. Um, I don't know. Do you feel that way? Like I feel like I feel like she knew to a degree, but then in that last moment, it was like she was then then she was like suddenly in denial about what that meant you know what i mean i don't i don't know yeah there's a couple of things that are happening in this episode that are great bookends for this particular episode at the very beginning pan says there's other people here who should have demons they do not what's going on with that yeah and she ignores him yeah so she's in denial there yeah and then she's in denial when she tries to put pan on the boat as well so her denial never went away okay but and i'm not a pullman scholar by any stretch of the imagination, as Holly will testify. But I think one of the most beautiful things about this, I think what Pullman has done, and subsequently this adaptation has done as well, is it takes the lesson that everyone dies alone, and it puts it into a story that even, you know, this person 
this being that you've had with you, this part of you that you've had with you, that you've communed with, that you've talked with, that you've shared experiences with, emotions with, you cannot take that with you to death. Everyone dies alone. Uh, it's, it's depressing. I know it's very depressing, uh, but it's also very real. And I think that that's one of the greatest lessons that Pullman put in any of these books. Um, and it's tragic and it's horrible. And so he actually made it in the most horrible way that it could. It'll make, it'll make our deaths a lot easier because we don't have to deal with that, you know, but to say that we, to, to say, you know, no, not even Pan can go with you, uh, is one of the most extraordinary ways to teach that lesson to people. I mean, God, I hope there's someone to hold my hand there when I take my last breath, but I'm still going to a place that they can't follow, you know, and I, I, it's a horrible lesson to have to learn as a kid reading this book. Uh, I think it's a very wonderful lesson to learn as you reread this as an adult. Weird. I didn't mean to get all philosophical on, oh. on this, but it's the best way that I can context it because otherwise I'm just, I'm on the floor bawling and you can't see me. All you'll see is my mic and I'm down here and I'm screaming and I'm crying. You might see a face, a fist shake every once in a while. This, this is the, this is the moment when I think of his dark materials, this is, this is like, this is the crucial moment that I think of all the time. Um, and it, um, so yeah, uh, again, I have read it many times. Watching it is just as painful. Um, there are a lot of differences. So like in the book, you know, we, uh, that Lyra is physically holding Pan a lot. Uh, we don't get that in the show because, you know, actors holding CG stuff, it just doesn't work. So this part in the book, like, she's like physically trying to push him away and he's and he's like clawing to like grab onto her it is so heartbreaking but even then even the way they did it here where he yeah they flipped the script and it made it just as impactful yeah they did they did they they and we'll we'll go more into that and just um yeah he was a little bit more like he's mad he's mad he should be mad he should be mad anyway um but just him like running and stretching at the end of the dock and oh my god i'm sorry y'all um and the little house he would make oh my god it crushed me and i was waiting for it i was waiting for the agonizing scream and it happened and then that was just like another gut punch and i uh, i'm just a puddle i am a puddle of tears um this is not a corporal body. It is tears just like all melded together to make a, a body before you. It is, this isn't real. This is not, this is an illusion of tears you were seeing in front of me because I am just a mess. Um, and it does not help that I had to, um, I had to say goodbye to my dog just like at the end of June of this year. So yeah, all of that was hitting super, super hard for me. And, I probably cried more in the last two days than I have all year because of this moment. So, um, well, I'm sorry. I'm really glad. It's okay. You know what? I'm really glad that the rest of the world has can suffer with me now and suffer with us book readers who have 
known about this and have had to deal. Um, but welcome. Welcome to our pain. Um, we are all trauma bonded together um, because of Pan and Lyra. So that okay. we are. I I love one point that you brought up, and then I will let this go, yeah. and we'll move on because we we have silly things to do yet, like another what's worse question. But oh, no. <laughs> yeah, try to try try to try to lighten up for that. At any rate, uh, I will say this: one point that you brought up is how this is such a huge moment in the series, and I brought up in our musical uh, analysis um, why it was so important to use the main theme was that very reason. Uh, the main theme was used as the boat is going away from the dock and all of that. The separation is starting to happen. And um, you don't give that to a Lyra theme. You don't give that to uh, a Land of the Dead theme. You must give that to a main theme simply because it is the lar- one of the largest story points in the entirety of the series for certain. So... I just wanted to say that, and now I'm going to make it awful for Holly by doing another What's Worse. <laughs> what's Worse. Okay. So, folks, we have been asking you to submit your feedback to us. We've been asking you to submit your three words to us. We've been asking you to submit your What's Worst scenarios for Holly and I to argue, because... Quite frankly, it's tough to make them up, so we'd rather you do. We'd rather farm the work out <laughs> to you. Uh, and we got one, uh, which we are going to argue now. Let's see. Now, you read the question first last time, or did I? Oh, I get to read the question now. Oh, you're reading the question now. Yeah. So this one is from HTracy084 on Twitter. It's our friend Holly, who's been a loyal listener. That's a double L to the podcast uh, for a couple of seasons now, and we really appreciate uh, she's going to give us lots of feedback later on as well. But she submitted this what's worst scenario. Holly, uh, it's your turn to ask the question. So read hers and then I All will right. choose an answer here. Okay, Matt, what's worse? Having to be separated from Pan or realizing that in trying to save your child, you brought her would-be killers the resources they need to do it? Pretty serious. Um, yeah. It's a pretty, pretty serious damn question. Uh, I could, I could be really mean to you, Holly, <laughs> and, and make you argue. Uh, well, I, I don't guess it matters which side I make you argue. This is going to be really bad. mean to you anyway. So I am going to say that, uh, realizing that in trying to save your child, you brought her would be killers the resources that they need to do it. Knucklehead! Knucklehead! What that damn locket? That locket that you've had since season two. When did you get that locket? When did you get the hair for that locket? I don't know. We don't have any answers to that. The only we, thing we have was that. Well, she got the hair when she was sleeping, probably. Well, we know that from certain sources. But why have the locket around your neck before the uh, full season? Before that's what I'm saying. The book, the book doesn't even answer that question, Matt. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. When when did she put the locket on? Uh, how long was it? There's no answers here. So why in the world, why in the world would you bring anything of your daughters with you if you were going to go kill the enemy? Why give them any chance? That's definitely worse. That's knuckleheaded. Um, 
Not nearly as knuckleheaded as Lord Roke letting his lodestone resonator break unexplicably uh, while just taking a ride in an attention craft. What the hell is that about? Anyway, uh, what you got here, Holly? Why is the other worse? Sorry. I mean, do, do I need to explain it? We just You just had to watch me cry for 10 minutes as we talked about it. I know you cried for 10 minutes when you watched it. I really don't even have to make an argument here. We all just suffer through the trauma. Just Just rewind last five minutes and that's your answer right there like that's it i'm forced to put this on the poll but if you don't vote for holly on this one if you do not vote that it's worse to be separated from pan then i don't know who you are please stop listening to the podcast uh <laughs> three words is next Oh, my goodness. Neither of us have filled out three words for these episodes, Holly. Whatever are we going to do? Um, I will give my three words for uh, season three, episode three, and that is angels are dumb. I don't I, – all angels are dumb. Uh, Alarbus is dumb for uh, getting self-caught and killed by Asriel. Bethalmus is dumb for just dropping in and rubbing it in that I could have helped you at any time, but I chose not to. I was just watching from afar. Oh, wait, now you need me again. Oh, I don't go to the land of the dead. That's beneath me. See ya. Angels are dumb. Those are my three words. What are your three words for this first of two episodes, Holly? My three words are mother knows best. <laughs> Because Marissa's the only one that interested in Schultz still trying to save her daughter. Uh, we've got to come up with another set for episode four. I, uh, I am, um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to steal, uh, from anybody. Uh, I think I, I will say pipes in hell. What was with all the, the, the industrialness? of uh of all the land of the dead uh what, what what do you need pipes for are they pumping the water into the divide that's between this suburb and the land of the dead uh nobody everybody's dead well except for lyra and will so do you need to drink water what's the purpose of having pipes uh is it steam pipes is it to cr create the fog effect between uh, the dock and, and wherever it is that they're going. Yep. What, what's with the pipes? Pipes that's in that. hell. That's my three words. Um, my three words are, um, you stupid girl. Cause I'm just mad at Lyra. I'm mad at her for doing this to Pan. She's a stupid girl. She's stupid. I'm mad. I'm sad. All right. I'm, I'm, ba I'm, I'm, and I'm late. With my three words this week, but I mean, she, they, I, my brain is broken. I can't think anymore. I'm, Everybody's brain out. is broken from this, except for Holly H-Tracy084, who came up with three words. It's a triple S. Triple S. Yeah. Soul snatching sadness. Yeah. Ouch. 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 That hurts. That hurts. We've got more feedback from her coming up in just a second. So, 
we are in the feedback section. First of all, I want to give a shout out to uh, Ruth Wilson Source on Twitter, who is all about Wilson on Twitter for retweeting a lot of our podcast stuff. Thank you very much for that, uh, doing that. We really appreciate it. And we have to review last week's What's Worst Questions, Holly. Uh, none of this will make you any happier than you have been this entire podcast. <laughs> uh, first of all, what's worse, losing your love or flying away from the one person that uh, love assigned you to stay with? Uh, again, we're back to stupid angels. Uh, this one, uh, I believe that you argued disrespecting love's wish, and I argued losing your love. Is that correct? Or was it the sure. other way around? At any rate, <laughs> at any rate, <laughs> losing your love, uh, won 58.3% to 41.7%. 1400 votes total on that particular podcast or in that particular poll on the 100 Twitter. Also on the 100 Twitter, 1200 votes on the 100 Twitter. This has never happened before, Holly. It's just never happened. Uh, Great. what's worse? Being threatened by Father Gomez or just plain being Fra Pavel? Me and you tried to boost this to get at least, you know, another hundred votes out of this so that we could break this tie, but it didn't happen. Uh, a perfect tie, 50%. That's never happened on this podcast before. 50% apiece for, uh, being threatened by Father Gomez or being threatened or just being Fra Pavel being exactly the same. We're both failures, Holly. Or yeah. we're both victors. Which way would you yeah. prefer to look at it? I feel like a failure after this week. I don't know. I'm just so down. I'm so sad. Oh, Maybe let's win. Man. We're winners. Well, we'll be winners because I'm down. So we'll be, yeah, we have to pick ourselves back up. Uh, yes. we, when you fall off the horse mm. and all that stuff. So uh, we have a dissertation here from right. Holly, who is at HTracy084. Uh, giving us pretty much catching us up from uh, the last week, the first two episodes as well, saying, since I didn't get to comment last week, the intro credits are gorgeous. Do we have any idea who designed or made them? Yes, we do. Uh, it was, well, we know who made the first ones for the first season, and there's no reason to believe that they haven't continued to do so because they look exactly the same. The company is called Elastic. And, uh, they do deserve all the praise, as Holly says. Here's something that we've been talking about all podcast. Uh, somehow it got into my subconscious brain, I guess, as I was putting this feedback in from Holly from at HTracy084. I think it's weird how Azrael is suddenly calling Mrs. C Marissa instead of Marisa. Uh, again, we've got that on the poll, ladies and gentlemen. Look on the poll. Is it Marissa or Marisa? Um, or is it just whenever the way, whatever way James McAvoy decides to say it on any given shooting day? Uh, Holly continues. She made, you're enjoying this, aren't you? Still the same man. Uh, that's toxic, uh, in terms of the two of them. I think her change is genuine where Lyra is concerned. In the book, I find her motivations a little more ambiguous. This week convinced me that she may be going about it all wrong with the kidnapping and transporting her in a box to then drug her to sleep for three years. <laughs> um, so three years, uh, maybe in the books, um, 
uh, or maybe she's just being funny about the fact that the kids have aged so much. Uh, I'm not exactly Holly. That's what you think, right? That she's just- yeah. I, I thought that that three years was just like sarcasm, but okay. Because Will funny. did say in these particular episodes at some point that it had been he'd been searching for her for months, um, but they did. Uh, I mean, Roger, he definitely had three years in between shots, <laughs> and he is now an, an NBA player. That's for sure. Oh no! Um, he's getting he's been drafted in the European League already, and he'll soon be uh, oh, see, playing for the Phoenix so, Suns. It's so funny because so I've been crying i've been crying this whole episode about us going to the land of the dead but i in that time i I had already forgotten about how much i (laughs) and don't like older roger and the land of the dead okay so my spirits are back up because now i think that's funny Uh, but i agree i agree with holly though on her um on what she's saying about uh, mrs coulter and all that stuff i agree with her 100 percent holly continues of course no one can blame lyra for not believing her even if she did still wanting to run uh, I wouldn't believe Mrs. Coulter either, but she truly did give everything up to save her. It's not enough, of course. Nothing will be, but she just wants to keep her kid alive, no matter how much she ignored her until the events of this series began. Speaking of, I'd like to get more info on this Asriel affair, more than last season's quick discussion with Carlos and more than what she tells Asriel in one of these two apps. Okay. And then, uh, so yeah, there's still some spaces to be in there, uh, be filled in there, I suppose. Uh, but anyway, she continues the locket. Obviously we didn't find out it's the locket. She holds Lyra's hair in, but Asriel made a comment. You still wear this. She didn't wear it until sometime in season two, but it's fine. I don't remember the origin of the locket from the books. Doesn't mean it's not there. Was it something Asriel gave her? When? The locket itself, I don't know. Uh, we, I don't think we know. It's not mentioned until, Holly, it's not mentioned until book three when Ama sees it and sees Mrs. Coulter put the hair in it. And I've got the quote from the book, uh, if Holly will indulge me by reading it. Okay, so from chapter four of the Amber Spyglass, um, Ama and the Bats, it says, eventually that stopped. And then the woman did a curious thing. She took a pair of scissors and trimmed the girl's hair, holding her head this way and that to see the best effect. She took one dark blonde curl and put it in a little gold locket that she had around her own neck. Ama could tell why. She was going to work some further magic with it, but the woman held it to her lips first. Oh, this was strange. Mrs. This Coulter. was strange. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Dun, dun, dun. Stuff. Uh, so uh, that's the best origin story that we have for the locket. That's the only thing that we know. Uh, and that doesn't really spoil anything. We still don't know when Azriel gave it to her or what it had in it when he did, uh, at least as far as the television show goes. Because we didn't see her cut any hair in the first episode, right? No. I love TV Mrs. C. She doesn't try to justify her actions. She's clear that she was slash is horrible, but Lyra matters, and she's willing to be humiliated if Azriel will help, which is a huge pivot for her, yet he seems to be determined to prove he doesn't care at all. 
She is also a terrible human being, but I think it's clear the TV version of her actually woke up and realized she loved Lyra, no matter how much she didn't fit her image of who she believed she should be. That part, last part, obviously took some time. The book Mrs. C's motives seem a little more ambiguous. Father President McPhail and Mr. Mrs. Coulter, when she says they're intertwined, can we take that to mean all the evil that they've done in the name of the authority? Or do you think it indicates something more? Because gross, he's obviously lusted after her for some time. Yeah, I think it's just about the, the crime stuff, especially with the line about the abstinence. I would maybe, you know, venture to say that she probably has tried to use some of her womanly ways to manipulate him in the past. And I think we do see some of that in season one. And I think there probably was just kind of consistent part of their relationship and how she manipulated him without actually going that far. I'm thinking of a line in the book, Mrs. C asks McPhail and company why she'd ever turn her daughter over to a bunch of men obsessed with sexuality. And she's right. They're all bonkers. And McPhail is a self-flagellating, lecherous little lizard. That's triple L. Meanwhile, I do really like Will Keen. <laughs> It's a weird sentence, but yeah, I mean, it's exactly right. It's it's like, oh, what a creep McPhail is. Will Keen's really cool, man. What a good actor. We, we uh, totally get it, Holly. We totally get it. <laughs> totally get it. Holly continues, Mrs. C truly tried everything she can with Lyra just in the past four episodes, not including all her ways of, quote, helping before this. She tried it herself in the cave. She begged Will to help them. She went to Azrael. She went to the Magisterium. When none of that worked, she confessed to murder so that she could expose McPhail, risking being executed or imprisoned forever to get people to see who they're dealing with. From the sound of it, it seems like she'll do anything to thwart this bomb. Uh, she's not so clearly on Lyra's side in the books. I love this. Yeah, so in doing all of this, uh, she's just ensured that Father McPhail, is, Father President McPhail is going to use her as the reason to, or as the fuel for the bomb. That's the problem I have with it. Um, so that's awful. Of course, we still got Lord Roke out there, Holly. We, we can, we can assume that he's probably going to try and help her, right? I would think so. Yeah. They were kind of working together. So yeah. Uh, Holly continues. Pan and Lyra in the end, I don't even know what to say about this. Wee whimpers and his sad little face. I'm not sure I'm forgiving Lyra after this. Right? <laughs> Same. Same. Holly Holly says affirmative to that. Uh, to Holly says, Holly is affirmative of Holly. Okay. Do Mrs. Coulter and her demons seem more in league with one another than before? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but it, it doesn't seem that there's been any kind of a problem i think that while they've had issues um i guess maybe they do seem more in league now maybe the use of the intention craft was only possible because they were able to get more in league right that and maybe the the monkey's just feeling a lot better about everything because he got to whack her in the head with a rock a couple like last week <laughs> so, um, he's feeling good no but there was there was a very a subtle moment that we did not actually talk about in the podcast. It's when she's already locked up. Uh, she's like tied to the chair and they do like share a little look and she kind of goes and, and Marissa just goes, Hmm. 
and it kind of like gives him a little nod it was like they had a little conversation and she was acknowledging it um it was a mm-hmm. little small moment like like they were hatching like they were hatching schemes holly continues yeah. mrs c has a lot of tells about her true feelings for lyra she flitches in episode two when father gomez mm-hmm. goes to enter the chapel she touches the locket in front of McPhail. She even flinches when Asriel touches the locket. I get the feeling between all the choking and jokes when Asriel binds Marissa's hands that their relationship was probably dangerously passionate and maybe consensually violent. Absolutely. Think- 100%. Absolutely. Yes. Agree. Hard agree. Yeah. And then Asriel saying... Why can't you be who I want you to be? Just canceled out any redeeming qualities he once had when he was more grounded in reality. Yes. Absolutely. I, I to me, also that killed him as a character. I could, you know, I could care less about what happens to him now. Uh, yeah. Him saying that. Yeah. For sure. He officially sucks now. Like there's no turning back. I mean, I, I mean, if we didn't already hate him for killing Roger, I mean, like we already shouldn't. He shouldn't have had as many passes as he has had. He's gotten exactly. Uh, Lyra saying Mrs. Coulter was holding her and she'd never been held before. Oh, and this poor kid. I also appreciate how Will saw the chapel as a place of trauma for Lyra and told her they didn't have to go in. It's easy to get caught up in the great scenes that came from it and forget. That she was in a drug-induced sleep for three years. Um, so the thing that I want to say about this to you, H. Tracy 084 Holly, is this. You cannot say poor kid and then say that you never forgive her. It's just not possible. And, and <laughs> you, you've got to keep, you've got to keep your take straight. Either Lyra is a demon who separates herself from a demon, two different spellings of demon, or she's a poor kid. So which is she, Holly, H. Tracy 084? Which is she? I ask the question now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you very much for all of that wonderful feedback. Uh, really loved it. Thanks so much for sending all that stuff in. We have a YouTube comment also from our friend Priscilla TV. Oh, Priscilla TV. Oh, I know her. Coach. I know her. She's part of the Bustin' Blockbusters podcast. She does the Lord of the Rings episodes with you, Matt. I thought I blocked you from this Zoom. Well, come on. I, let me read Priscilla's comment. A fine Priscilla Front TV. From, she's got a great YouTube channel, by the way. Just search it out. Uh, YouTube.com slash at Priscilla TV one on YouTube. Uh, she says, hi, Matt and Holly. Just passing by to say hello. And how jealous I am that you have a tiny wheel of topics that actually spins. How crazy is that? It's so crazy. <laughs> it's so tiny. Our spins, doesn't it, Matt? Coach, get out of here. Bye, Holly. Bye. <laughs> he was nicer that time. Less scary. Less scary. Yeah. Yeah. He tends to get that way as the night goes on. Oh. Uh, okay. So, folks, uh, if you want more great feedback reading from Coach Trollick, let us know. Or if you want him to never, ever show up again, let us know. How do you do that? You send tweets to at the dust podcast on Twitter. You can send uh, hives, social messages, 
uh, or Mastodon boosts messages, whatever that is, on one of the 17 billion servers that they have uh, by seeking out Matt's audio blog, M-A-T-T-S audio blog. You can send emails to Matt's audio blog at gmail.com. Guess what that spelling is? M-A-T-T-S audio blog at gmail.com. Or you can leave comments on our website posts. Guess what that spelling is? Matt's audio blog.com. Or you can leave comments on our YouTube page. Well, it's not our YouTube page. It's the Double P Media's YouTube page, youtube.com slash C slash the word double, the letter P, the word media. That is how you reach them. Or you can use their handy little handle, which is youtube.com slash at double P media. Or you can use the following spellings for Twitter, Hive, social, and for Instagram. That's double, the word double, the letters PHQ. That stands for podcast headquarters. Uh, again, that's for Hive. For Twitter and for Instagram, you can use that same spelling for Facebook, facebook.com slash the word double the letters PHQ. You can find everything that Double P Media does also at their website, doublepmedia.com. We want you to subscribe to the YouTube. We want you to like our video. We want you to leave comments on our video because what we found out over the course of this year is that 2 million minutes of people watching Double P Media videos still only gets you a quarter pounder with cheese. So Bubba needs more. Uh, he needs you to like. He needs you to subscribe. He needs you to watch all of the videos. Uh, it, it's it's not like he can fire us because we're on our second to last podcast for this feed anyway. But he can fire me in other projects that I'm doing. You're yeah, like Boston Blockbusters podcast. Please write and subscribe. Coach, go away all right uh holly anything else before we get into the book spoilers no i'm i'm glad we've made it past this point um that's all oh, I got. don't worry it's, i've got more well, torture coming for you yeah <laughs> book spoilers are coming up folks if you don't want to be spoiled about anything that happens in the last two weeks of this series or uh happens all in one day uh, this Sunday, if you live in the BBC, if you live in uh, the UK and and have a BBC iPlayer, uh, if you don't want to know any of that stuff, then we'll say goodbye for now. Book spoilers coming up after Deborah just repeats all of the information that I just spent five minutes giving you. You're listening to The Dust, a His Dark Materials podcast. Tweet the podcast at The Dust Podcast. Send emails to mattsaudioblog at gmail.com and find all back episodes and other information at mattsaudioblog.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com. You're still here. Why are you still here? It must be because you've read The Amber Spyglass. Maybe you've even read all of the Book of Dust series that's available currently, which is La Belle Sauvage and uh, The Secret Commonwealth. Is that correct, Holly? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay. And maybe you've read those too. And maybe you can school me on some of that stuff because I haven't read those. But if you're a TV person who just wants to find out what's going to happen on the TV show before it happens on the TV show. I'm actually okay with that too. It's just if you don't want to be here and don't want to find out and you're still here, then I'm going to ask you to go away.
That's the only people that I'm going to ask to go away because I try to be inclusive, but you know, everybody's got their limits. So here's what I didn't like. I've, I've got a list, Holly. I see. Um, I did not like the way that somehow episode four drug out and out and out until the last five minutes, which are heartbreaking. And yet no, we learned nothing. I did like the Lyra and her death scene. But to have that guy lead them into the room where they learned about having to see your death. We didn't get any of the hut stuff with the dinner, with the, the music, with the celebration or any of that stuff. Stuff that might have been able to be included if we'd have just moved along a little bit better in the prior episode and put some of this stuff in the prior episode. Or if we had 10 episodes where we could spend more time here. I don't like the way this is being adapted. Uh, I don't like the way that they're leaving the Galavispians out of the land of the dead. I don't like uh, that the dragonflies were never there. I hate that Tialis isn't there. I have zero. I, and I know you said you like Lord Roke and you can invest in him. I'm not invested in him uh, because I can't trust whether he actually broke his lodestone resonator or not. So I, I, I'm not invested. I have zero reason to invest in any of these Galavespians. Give me, show me them caring for their dragonflies. Show me them experiencing what they experience in the land of the dead in the future. And then I'm invested in. Don't show me them flashing Skylab solar panels as wings. Did They don't really do much in the land of the dead except the dragonflies fly. die. The dragonflies die. That's it. Like, ugh, that's that's kind of it. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, but it invests in you in the fact that they care so much for them. Yeah, I, I guess. But, like, that's it. Like, it's, I, 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 again, it's not really doing, they don't do anything that pushes the story forward. They die in there, too. The Galavespians die in there. They don't even survive it. Right? Mm-hmm. They They die. So... Again, it, it's unnecessary. We we wouldn't have enough time. I like if we wouldn't have had enough time to develop them anyway as characters to get to know them to even care about them. Really, I'm. It, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Again, okay. I, I, it'll be easier to know once we kind of get through the next couple episodes too. Once we get through the Land of the Dead, because. The only thing that really stands out about the dragonflies was that, like, once they get, once they get everybody in the land of their dead on their side, and they're all going in the same direction, I like the imagery of the dragonflies being like the only little bit of lights in the land of the dead that everybody's kind of following. Yeah. So, uh, I I would miss that. So, other than that, though, like, there's really not even a reason to have Gal down there we just we needed like the dragonflies down there you know not even really the galavespians like like, again i'm gonna if i'm gonna i'm not i'm not being picky i think where i think they're hitting the hitting the right things um they hit the emotional beat for pan and lyra that they needed to get that for for me and they did they did i'm devastated so they got that right and that's kind of all i'm worried about I'm sorry to be an Asriel, but why can't this story just be what I want it to be? Oh, my God. I don't know. Money. Um, the, the other thing, uh, I did like the way that because 
I know that you said this was very upsetting with the thinking about the way that it's portrayed in the books with, you know, her having to push pan away and all of that stuff. But I did love the flip of the script because it also incorporates, you know, that yes. separation that is in between them in this, the secret Commonwealth. Yes. So yeah. it worked in, it worked really well in that way. The it was still, a, yeah, it was still a very dagger to the heart, but man, yeah. it was, it, it's cool that they set that up already. And, and even in, you know, uh, what was the line where he said, I thought, where she says, you always used to be on my side, on he my said, side. Uh, and he says, I thought I was by your by side. By your side. Yeah. Really good stuff there. So love all of that. Yeah. They've, and they've I'm, been actually doing a good job of kind of teasing this out, really starting in season two, very subtly, like so subtle. I can't tell you exactly which moments. I just remember seeing the seeds there maybe even some in season one but they mm. they were really hitting it hard every episode so far this season with uh, with her withholding her dream information just not wanting to tell pan everything and like keeping those secrets from him she's really already like betraying his trust um yeah so it is it is a betrayal um and 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 okay that question you brought it up earlier and then we kind of talked, we didn't talk about it much. So I, I didn't know how to interpret that question. When she asks her death, will he understand? Is she talking, do you think she's talking about Pan or she's talking about the boatman? You think, you thought she was talking about Pan? I thought she was talking about Pan. Right. So that, if she is talking about Pan, that makes me really angry that she's just choosing to ignore and not talk to him um and like not tell him what's going on um yeah. I, I thought maybe it was like about the boatman like understanding i don't know i yeah but uh, but again it it all just sets up everything super great for the secret commonwealth with their the other thing that was really weird about that was when the boatman said one of your party won't be allowed on or won't be allowed Not to take the for journey. travel. And she kind of, she kind of questioned which, like she thought it was going to be Will or something. Yeah. So then I was wondering if she was asking the death about will Will understand. Maybe she was planning on going on on her own, just her and Pan. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't um, know. It was kind of hard. It was kind of hard to read what that was, like what that question, who that question was supposed yeah. to be about. Agreed. Um, and I guess you can you can argue multiple interpretations, but yeah. I, um, unfortunately, I don't have that. enough faith that they'll ever make that clear. That it's just that's, it was just out there. Yeah, yeah. It's it was it was so hard. Oh, hi, Bean. Okay, so no seed pods so far. No, but that she was drinking out of a seed pod, though, right? That was the cup. Seemed awful small. It could be, yeah. Maybe it was just a, a small one. It wasn't fully. Okay. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. They they have no they have no mechanical use for smaller ones. Mm -hmm. If they wouldn't support them, so they use them for other things. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, or maybe they are smaller. Maybe I just misread that in the book. I just thought that they were big enough to support you know their weight, and they kind of anchored all four legs. Into or two and two, I don't know. It's or two again, and two. Yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird the way they're described in the books. It's really hard for my brain to like picture it. Um, I know Bean struggles too. Um, <laughs> sorry if y'all can hear the cat 
Who needs attention? It's cat o'clock over here. Um, it is cat o'clock. This is the time they come and interrupt the podcast. Um, so anyway, yeah. Um, no seed pods yet. There, but there have to be. There have to be. The weird, pods. the other weird thing, and the thing that I think uh, disturbed me a little bit was I didn't really think that we were in Malefa yet when we saw it because I was expecting more of the big clumps of trees. I was expecting to see the roads. Saw zero roads. Yeah. Um, and it just, I don't know if that was just a, meant to be so that it would be this big dramatic reveal that Atal is there and saying hello, uh, so that book readers would not suspect that they were there yet or, okay. or what, but it just felt kind of clumsy, uh, in mm. that respect. It's like, you know, those are the first descriptions you get of Malefa from, from Pullman is Maybe. through her eyes. Maybe and those Mary, are the descriptions you get. Yeah, and maybe we don't see Rhodes because Mary's just like out in the boonies of the Malefa world. She's not near. She's not near like the city, <laughs> the Malefa city. Well, yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm making a would, Atal would have to be quite a wanderer then, because they weren't that far from her village, were they? Well, yeah, it's kind of hard know. to tell because they move so fast o- over the roads that so you can't yeah. tell how far away they are from any of the villages. It's too early to tell for me to start making like assumptions right now um i'll i'll give it another episode another like good chunk of time with mary malone before before coming to any decisions on how i feel about it i do love mary malone um she hasn't had unfortunately uh simone kirby hasn't had a whole lot to do um no until just a couple scenes this episode um i guess i guess the one thing that we mentioned last week was, of course, that, you know, that talk that she had with those girls about coming into your own and being yourself and all of that stuff. It's very good practice for, you know, mm-hmm. the talk that she's going to have with Lyra Will. So, or at least with Lyra, I guess. So, um, that's good. Um, and here you get the reveal of the Malefa. Now we're at a place with Mrs. Coulter where she's either got a crap or get off the pot or Lord Roke has to get off the pot as far as the magisterium is concerned, right? So they can do just a really tight thing there and they could split more of it up between maybe the first thing we need to do is have Will uh, lose his portion that can't go across and, and it show up with Pan. Like I said, you can't put that at the end of this episode because it destroys all the drama. But you can put it at the beginning of the next one. Yeah, well, and we don't see we don't see Will's demon for sure. But like, all we know is that he experiences the same kind of agonizing pain that she does. Um, right, but we also do it. know that Pan gets a new friend on the other side. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we don't know that. Like, and they don't know that until they get to the other side. Yeah, but we're an outside. Well, okay. Right. I wasn't expecting to see Will Steeman this episode. I though. think some people were, and that surprised me. Um, because if she's experiencing the pain, he should be experiencing it at the same time. I I think I think they messed they they should have shown that. I think they should have shown that pain for him. I don't think we needed to see much else. I think that would be a that's gonna be a great surprise for for TV only people that like, oh, now that they went through this together and they're gonna where they're gonna come back through, 
Will's going to have a demon um, that he didn't have before. So yeah. I think that's going to be a nice, fun surprise. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I know you're talking about Mrs. Coulter and I feel like with where we are with Mary Malone and where we are with Mrs. Coulter, like we need to maybe slow down from Mrs. Coulter. Like maybe the next episode is just land of the dead and just Mary Malone. And I think we could do that for an episode to kind of like catch us up, you know, at least catch her up to maybe what's kind of going on with the rest of us and then pick back up later. I mean, it is Ruth Wilson and they probably want to keep her in every episode even a little bit. So yeah. Um, but yeah, we definitely, they do need to slow down her stuff. Um, and let Mary Malone point, catch up. Yeah. I feel like at everything out, like there's just so many big events that are about to happen, like back to back to back to back to back to back to back. And, uh, is a problem I have with the book where I think it, it kind of glazes or quickly glances over these big events where I don't really think very much about like the actual battle that's happening because that's really you know that that's gonna be happening as they come out of the world of the dead so i feel like there's just so many like moments and things that need to happen and so many big things that happen like boom 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 that you don't really get to spend enough time in each of them and you just have to like one thing has to happen so the next thing can happen then the next thing so um, i don't know that's where we're at and i think that's why i'm just kind of like not in general really picky about the changes because as long as it's feeling true uh then i'm i'm good with it and i that's i still feel that way understood one last what's worse question not for you or me okay. good but for our listeners good night what's worse <laughs> pan the thing that happened between pan and lyra in these episodes or the thing that will happen between will and lyra at the very end what's worse we want to hear from you tweet us email us hive mastodon whatever it is you do comment on videos on websites and whatever you've got all the information we don't need to give it to you anymore final thought holly and then we're gone i'm glad we're past this (laughs) i'm so glad we're past this uh this podcast was strange strange. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.